eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz Horn 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. And it is draft week, so we're going to talk NFL draft, but I won't beat you down with predictions and projections. Talk more about how it impacts the Longhorns going forward, because you guys, in, in these shows we've done, we've, we never really said goodbye to the 2019 season. There were coaching changes and all kinds of different mm-hmm. things happening. So we'll get into the draft uh, as it impacts the Longhorns going forward. And coming up this weekend was supposed to be the spring game. Spring game was supposed to take place on Saturday. Clearly, that's not happening. <laughs> so we'll look at some of the things we would have hoped to have seen had there been a spring game. But without further ado, let me bring in the rest of the team for this adventure. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. Yourself? Wonderful. And lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-America, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever he, get the, whenever he gets that team ring back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. Number 21 in your program. Number one in your hearts. Mr. Rod Babers. Rod, I got a little... I, my filing system. I got a little sidetrack because... Yeah, I, I try just, to get myself uh, together here, so... I took, my apologies. I took a glance... It's off screen. <laughs> took a glance over at Rod... <laughs> yeah, you don't need to see this. So, and Rod being yeah, Papers Babers right now and, and the filing system going on. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to show this to the world. No. So, Rod, I'm sure you've got some <laughs> NFL draft notes in there. Oh, that's what I'm getting at. Exactly. <laughs> so, See? That's exactly what the notes are. So, yeah. at, at, this, at this point, uh, I think we can safely <laughs> assume there are at least going to be three Longhorns drafted this weekend. Oh, no doubt about it. Devin DuVernay, Brandon Jones, Colin Johnson. Mm-hmm. The when and where, we obviously don't know. Rod, we got some projections, and this is an article Chip Brown did at Horns 24-7, talking to an NFL scouting director looking at draft projections for the Texas draft hopefuls. Mm-hmm. And see if any of this jives with kind of what you're thinking. 
Devin Duvernay, fourth or fifth round projection. Even though I think lately it seems like that's bumping up a little bit. Yeah, well, I've yeah. seen him higher. I've seen him yeah, as the high as the round. second round. So I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it could, it could go either way depending on when and how many receiver runs there are in this this draft, which is historically deep for wide receivers. Right, and then Colin Johnson and Brandon Jones also fourth or fifth round grades, and then. Yeah. You know, the two guys at the tail end, Malcolm Roach and Zach Shackelford, it seems like they are firmly in the, we'll just call it the sixth, seventh round slash priority free agent group, yeah. which at the, really, Rod, once you get past the fifth round, I mean, at that point, I know guys want to hear their names called. Yeah. But once you get through the fifth round, are some guys almost hoping, man, I kind of hope I don't get drafted because if you're in the priority free agent mix, you probably got three, four, five teams you're talking to that are going to have deals for you right when the draft is over, and you're going to have your pick of who you go to at that point. Yeah, I'm sure the agents at that time are considering that. And for Malcolm Roach, I'm sure there are teams that they probably already, or the agent, whoever his agent is, has already spoken to. So you're right. I mean, if you're talking about the guaranteed money, basically it would almost be very similar. There are some undrafted free agents, if they're priority free agents, that do get guaranteed money hell um if they're in demand yeah andrew beck got a lot of guaranteed money for the Patriots. i think the most of any of the patriots undrafted free agents when they brought him in so yeah you can still get some money attached to it but yeah after the you know you're in the sixth or the seventh round that's not a lot of guaranteed money i mean the guaranteed money almost cuts in half after the first round yeah that's why bill belichick loves second round guys because he's like oh second round you know that's Probably the same amount of talent. The talent pool is not as deep, but it's still a lot of first-round talent in the second round because teams miss so much and miss evaluations, but you get it for half the price. Yeah, well, and that's where, like, those picks nowadays, like, say maybe 15 years ago, uh, somebody you drafted maybe was overvalued by the organization a bit more strictly because you drafted them, but teams these days not as allegiant to it. But you normally do get at least that first contract a little bit more guaranteed years when you're yeah. drafted, then the undrafted free agent. Yeah. So that's the only thing that would make you feel better with long-term stability. If you're looking at the hit rate, though, probably, Rod, I, yeah. I would venture to say sixth, seventh-round picks are priority free agents. It, it probably evens out just in terms of, of the, the amount of roster fillers you're going to find. You're probably just going to find as many in the sixth or seventh round as you're going to find with signing an undrafted free agent. Uh, I agree. Some teams are just better at it than others. I think the Seattle Seahawks and the New England Pages are probably the best at being able to find and develop undrafted free agents. I think, actually, I think Bill Belichick prefers undrafted free agents even over the fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks. And I, maybe it's a mentality thing. Maybe it's because he knows that nobody else is prioritizing those guys. Uh, I think it's 5% of the NFL rosters last year were seventh round picks. Around 8% were sixth round picks. 9.3% fifth round picks. So, I mean, even actually there are more fifth-round picks on the rosters last year than, than fourth-round picks, but it's I think it was 8.9% fourth-round picks. Yeah. It's negligible. But for the most part, first, second, and third, all those are double-digit percentages. 14% of the NFL is first-round picks. Uh, 10% is second- and third-round picks. 32% of NFL rosters are undrafted free agents. And yeah. Bill Belichick and, and, and the Seattle Seahawks, and there are a lot of teams, they Cheap understand labor, that. Man. Hey, it, they're penny stocks. You I know got the I mean? numbers right here. It's the, be- look, it's the best cheap labor. If you look at the salary caps from where it's dispersed via position, mm-hmm. the two teams at the defensive line that spend 28th and 29th, it's Seahawks 28th, 
Patriots on the D-line 27th. So those two are in the bottom five and six in payroll allocation. One has Puna Ford. The other one could be one that might be drafting a guy like a Malcolm Roach. But where you get oh, yeah. that lower level, you get high-level production, you get a starting D-lineman in the NFL, but you're paying at the lowest rate that you can at something like an undrafted free agent or a fifth round or a sixth round. And when both those teams, when you said that, and I had just looked at this last night, crazy. I was like, it's exactly what you're saying is looking at their, where else did the Seahawks rank in the bottom half on defense? Overall defense, 32nd in payroll allocation. DBs, yeah. 29th. Yeah. And that's 29th. They find cheap labor. Hell, Richard Sherman was what a fifth round pick for them. And that's, they find cheap labor. And the then Cam they, Chancellor was undrafted. They replace them. So you got D line yeah. 28th, that's 29th in the secondary. And, and so by the way, uh, Schneider's traded down, I believe, every year out of the first round pick since 2012. So trading down to get more value. Uh, speaking, I mean, talk about value. The Patriots have had an undrafted rookie free agent make their roster for 15 consecutive seasons. <laughs> Value, baby. Yeah. Value is what the draft is about. Don't don't get caught up in the names and the, the 40 times and all that. Just think about value. And to so, your point also, when we were talking about uh, just Patriots, you look at them at 27th on the D-line, 24th in linebackers, but all their money spent in the DBs. Secondary. Second in corners and sixth in secondary. So Ooh. front seven, though, you have them ranked overall 28th and 24th in the league. That's crazy. Right, I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, Craig and I had Malcolm Roach on, on Light the Tower mm. on Wednesday. Speaking of value. And mm-hmm. D-line. <laughs> you know, we asked him, said, hey, you know, kind of what are you, what are your plans this weekend? Because some guys, you know, social distancing right now, you can't mm-hmm. really throw a draft party. Yeah. Um, but he said, you know, he might watch the first round with his brother, might pay attention to it. But, you know, really maybe in the day two he'll take a peek. But day three he knows that's probably when he really needs to pay attention. And uh, But what's interesting is he said – he and his agent, they're already preparing for the worst. So, like yeah. you said, is accurate with him. His agent has already talked to teams like, hey, if you don't get drafted, here's a few options that are going to be on the table for teams that are really interested yeah. in signing you. So, Smart it, move. Yeah. But, Rod, not all guys prepare that way, though. Yeah. A lot of guys don't have that kind of plan. They're you know, shocked when they don't get drafted. It's like, well, what were you really expecting to get picked? But I just think it's – it's and, and and Malcolm Dow is a college coach, so at least is familiar with that process mm-hmm. too. So, you know, but let's go from this standpoint, Rod. When you look at this, look at these five guys. And Parker Braun, I think, is a guy that I want to say get into a camp, but we don't know what the OTA structure at this point is going to look like or the rookie mini camps. We don't know what any of that stuff yeah. is going to look like right now. So let's just take these five guys, right? right. Colin Johnson, Devin Duvernay, Brandon Jones, Malcolm Roach, Zach Shackelford. Mm-hmm. How many of these guys do you think? Let's even say practice squad guys next year. Are all five of them? Four or five? Three or five? How many of those five guys do you think are at least practice squad players next year? Uh, practice squad or make a make a roster? Yeah. Um, oh, that's good. I think one, two, three. Oh, man, I say three out, out of the five make a roster or I want to say, I would like to say four because I want to say Malcolm Rose can be on a practice squad for somebody because he's a project and he's so, so athletic overall that somebody's going to bring him on and say, man, I'm going to give him a couple of years to see what he, what NFL body, his NFL body looks yeah. like. You know what I mean? And his football acumen, they can fall in love with him. So I'd say three and a half. 
I'll go 3.5. Three and a half. <laughs> I heard uh, your interview with Craig when we were talking to Malcolm when I was driving up here, and he is sort of as if Malcolm he, uh, talked about manufacturing depth within himself and being asked, you know, like, what position do you want to play on the D-line? And he was like, well, you know, I feel like I'm a guy that can play multiple positions and, and bring value to you got to have 52-man roster, but I can be somebody that – backs up these handful of positions and that's exactly that niche and role that he can have and be valued so Did he much use higher. that term value? Did he use the term value? Well, I don't remember the exact oh, words. I, exact I would term. love to see I think he, he, I think he did. I that'd be great if he did because that would mean that somebody else talking to him like, man. When I, I heard it, I was like, out. man, he's been listening to us oh, listening or he thinks us, yeah. the same <laughs> way we <laughs> do. But, uh, you know, this is the guy that played middle linebacker at Texas. Like, yeah. He only did it for one game, but he, he, he played. Do, he he's it. got middle linebacker film. Man, it's unbelievable. <laughs> That he ran a fours and four eight. Four, eight, four. He does sort of have just like at two hundred ninety-seven pounds. Yeah, goodness, goodness, that's crazy. When you somebody, at, somebody in the NFL that loves freaks, he's basically kind of in the freakish realm, and also the the possibility that he can play in multiple positions. I think I think he is going to get drafted late. I think somebody's going to roll the dice on him in the seventh round or something. Like you said, probably won't be to his benefit either yeah. because it won't be a team that can. That either that he can't choose because he can choose his situation, but it could be a random team that just likes, you know, to collect freaks, not the team that sit sit circum in terms of circumstance, scheme, and situation that fit him best. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, and that's I think the point that needs to be driven home with Malcolm Roach and Zach Shackelford because I think yeah. Shackelford, just by virtue of the position he plays, right? It's it, you need centers to get you through camp. You no need question. centers to get you yep. through OTAs. And I'm not knocking Zach Shackelford's NFL potential, but the that's his foot in the door. It's like, hey, this guy can play center. Great, bring him in because we. It's you know, rare. If you need, if you, you know, one of ours gets hurt, you know, you need one. And you know, if they decide that maybe he's a practice squad guy or somebody they would carry. I mean, hey, we're talking about late round pick, undrafted free agent. It goes back to the cheap labor conversation we had. But I want to look at how this impacts Texas going forward. And we know they had winter conditioning, but no spring practice. Spring game was supposed to be this weekend. Mm. So the process of replacing these guys, right? Let's start with Devin Duvernay. Because that, to me, is the easiest one out of all of these. Tom Herman has a plan on how to get Jordan Whittington and Jake Smith to football. Yep. Like we talked about on this show. He talked about it on our Texas tailgate chat. Those guys, he's called them ideal fits. I forgot if that was the word he used. I'm paraphrasing here. I'm doing this on the fly. But basically, ideal prototype. That's what he, he did. I did. He did, yeah. Prototype much, yeah. fits for that H position, that slot position, that hybrid position in this pro spread offense. So, Rod... That's probably the easiest kind of plug-and-play that you've got on this roster when you look at how do you replace Duvernay. Okay, you get Jordan Whittington and Jake Smith involved in the offense. That's exactly how you do that. Yeah, no, that's going to be, to me, you could argue it's going to be the key to the offense this year. It's going to promote versatility. I love Mike Yersage's kind of offensive philosophy. You know, he's going to, I always say, he's going to do the cover version of Tom Herman's pro spread. You know what I mean? They're great. They're great songs out there that often can transcend through different decades uh, because people do really good different cover versions. Sometimes you don't even realize that the, the, the cover version was, you know, was copied from some other uh, artist back in the day. You know what I right. mean? It's like Whitney Houston's uh, I'll Always Love You. You know what I mean? That's like, that's, that's not Whitney, was Whitney's cover version, but it was just that damn good. We're hoping that Mike Yersich's cover version of the pro spread offense will be just that good. We'll forget all about Tom Herman's original pro spread idea uh, because the Yersich interpretation of it will be that good. And I think the key to that is to kind of unlocking the creativity will be Jordan Whittington and Jake Smith and how they use those guys. And he said, 
players, what do you say, players, formations, plays, and formations. Those are his three keys. That's what he builds his different concepts around. Well, those two guys can affect the formations and they can affect the plays from down to down. They make you multiple. So I, I think that Tom Herman, there's a reason that he said he's been uh, using that position and weaponizing that position since he got here. Little Jordan Humphrey, then Devin DuVernay. Now he's got the two guys that he has envisioned and visualized to play that position. Probably two of the best in the country if they could do it. You know, I heard Percy Harvin's coming, trying to come back to the NFL. <laughs> this, basically, these are two Percy Harvins. You got two of them. This is going to sound asinine, what I'm about to say. Okay. Considering that you're Devin DuVernay. It's one of the greatest statistical years in the history of this program for a wide receiver. Yep. But are you upgrading at the slot position? I don't know about oh. upgrade, but it could be. It, mm, that's a great question. You know, we're talking about for next year or for just say the. How, however, however you want to. However you want to. I wouldn't slice say an it. upgrade, but I like the versatility because you have multiple guys that can switch in and do it. They didn't use Duvernay left though. We well, know there was Duvernay no versatility last year too. Uh, but Duvernay could have. They could have. He, he could have been, back but, yeah, they, but they didn't do it. Enough. But I don't know if that's fair to use against Duvernay as say exactly. No, but that's not exactly. That's so, not his fault. Will we get more production? We may actually get more production out of it too. To I'm. I'm with I'm I'm more in line with Matt on this in terms of production, Rod. I think from your standpoint, it's much more of a fault of the staff now. Now that you're saying these guys are prototype guys, it's exactly what you want at the age. Now there is no excuse for what you're talking about, which is that uh, did you as good as Duvernay was, did you get enough out of him? Did you did you exhaust every way to get him the football? There's no excuse for that now. You can't. You can't sit can't here. We, we can't sit here, in maybe at this time next year we're playing games. I don't know. But when, whenever with the coming season, whenever it happens, whenever it ends, it, it would be uh, almost malpractice on the part of, of the offensive staff yep. if we're sitting around saying, "Man, I wish they would have got Jake Smith more involved in this way. I wish they would have done. They should have done more." Jordan Whittington this way. Now, granted, injuries could change that and circumstances could change that, but I, with what you're saying, I, I think now you basically alleviate that safety net. There is no safety net for failure now. You've got these two guys. Go do what you do. Man, uh, that's, that's a great question about the upgrade. Um, yeah, it's just because it's there. It, it's, I don't know if I can answer the question. I guess this is a cop-out, but they're just more ideal for the position probably than DuVernay or Lou Jordan Humphrey, even though we all agree – Little Jordan Humphrey and Devin Duvernay were underutilized. Yes. They probably could have used those guys in different ways and more creative ways. They didn't do it enough. But he'll be able to better weaponize Jake Smith and Jordan Whittington it's because these are his, you know, I mean, these are the prototypes that he's always visualized. Right. He's envisioned yeah. for his offense. Because that position's yeah, always got the production in his offense. But yeah. when you look at this, the situation may be best for them being that they're a fit and then the offense may not funnel down and becoming because not only was Duvernay your best option, but he had the best chemistry with your quarterback and then was the most trusted. So a lot of stuff was not necessarily forced for a wrong reason. It was because it was the best play, but the top side of the offense was limited because you basically didn't weaponize all aspects of the offense and it basically got – the idea of a switch in the NBA and you can simplify the Warriors down to Durant in a one-on-one situation if you get the switch mm-hmm. and be like, okay, well, you'll take away everything that was the great offense that was the Warriors because you know 
This is a better one-on-one -on -one and we can become reliant upon it. And then at times it can actually limit your creativity and make you not be as good of an overall team as a unit of five or 11. Yeah. And that's sort of the situation where it's always that constant battle of, well, you want to funnel it to your guys. You want to make sure that you're, you know, not tell Sam to like spread the ball around for no reason other than, well, if Duvernay's open, it's open, but it's going to be easier to defend. The other thing, Part of that offense, Rob, when you look at these five guys and replacing them, I think the other one that's easy to go to is center with Derek Kerstetter taking over for Zach Shackelford. And, again, it's no knock on Shackelford. That was two-time first-team All-Big 12 guy. But I don't, I don't know that you, – you'll miss his leadership, I think, is really what you'll miss from Zach Shackelford. Like a senior center, yeah. four-year starter, mm -hmm. that intangible stuff, it, you, you, you don't replace that. Rod, you, you've been on teams. You don't – like not to compare him vis-a-vis you know, -vis this guy, but – like the intangible stuff, you don't replace that when you lose a Casey Hampton no. or, or an Aaron Humphrey. And you know, the acquired or skill like that. being that long. Or, yeah, or, or yeah. Your, your group on the back end. Like you had guys, I, I'll, I'll tell you a good comparison for Zach Shackelford. Right? I'll give you this. And Rob, this is related to Wack when you played. Like physically, you had guys that could bring to the table more than what Ahmad Brooks brought, right? They're more yeah. physically gifted. But that intangible stuff that Brooks brought to the table, of why Coach Aquino liked him so much at, sorry, Brooks, 5'8", or whatever Brooks is, 5'7", mm -hmm. whatever he is. That intangible stuff, you just you weren't going to replace that. No, I agree. I mean, that's certain guys that, um, in terms of the chemistry with the team, they, you know, they provide balance. You know what I mean? Whether it be the their policing in the locker room or whether they're just uh, they're the comedians on the team. I mean, I can't tell you. Every guy's got their own personality. Right. But it's very, very unique when – you know, you get one of those guys who's also a leader and, and they that presence is something you can't really quantify. Uh, and, yeah, you don't really replace it, but you know you got guys who've learned uh, as, you know, as much as they can from those guys. Like me, I mean, I learned as much as I could from Brooks and learned a ton from Casey Hampton. You replace replace Casey Hampton, but I learned a ton from his leadership style, uh, the leadership style of guys like D.D. Lewis. I mean, I can name some great leaders, and Kwame Cavill was a great leader uh, for us. And, yeah, you don't replace that, but hopefully the younger guys are watching, they're learning, and they figure out, all right, these are the, the things, these are the ways that I can lead in different situations. Um, and this is how I need to lead and set the example. So that's kind of what I did. I mean, I, I, I'm sure I left off some great leaders too. No, the yeah. point is, uh, and you led me to where I wanted yeah. to go with So that. I can be like that for the Casey Stutters and the VYs and yeah. the Huff Daddies and the Cedric Griffins. You know what I mean? while, while Derek Kerstetter, I think, is in terms of. Uh, skill set in terms of physical talent, I actually think is an upgrade over Shackelford. Uh, you hope some of that leadership stuff, leadership stuff rubbed off on him. Mm -hmm. And that he... This is Smith off of Duvernay. Like, yeah. Same it's, idea. Well, but, but I think with that offensive line, though, at that position at Agreed. center, man, you, you've got you, you to gotta be that they just align. I mean, you've got to be... Like, we've heard you know, we've heard Casey Hampton, or Casey Hampton, Casey Studdard and, and Justin Blaylock talk over the years like, yeah, they were talented, but you know, Lyle Sinline was the glue that held that group together. Yeah, exactly. Front. And you never know. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, yeah, like, you know, we, we saw even go back to yep. you know, go back to Charlie's first year. Like, I think we thought that offense would be okay. But even losing David Ashley, like, well, okay, that's bad. But, man, when they lost Dom Espinosa, it's like, man, it's just – can you just hit the reset button on this thing? Like, yeah. mm -hmm. like, your offensive line is just – like, you lose – you don't replace the stuff that – a multiple-year starter at center. Like, that's just – it's hard to replace that. Well, because, like I said, the chemistry is so delicate. You know what I mean? Like you said, you remove any of those – you know, any of those elements from that 
that, you know, whatever that chemical compound mm-hmm. is, and it's a different <laughs> chemical altogether. Yeah. And the same thing with the chemistry in that locker room. You remove one guy, and I know it's fragile. You're like, oh, man, what do you mean a Brooks? You look at Brooks. He wasn't that talented. You can replace one of those younger guys, put him in there, and they'll be good. It's like, no, not a young Huff Daddy is different from, a, you know, the Huff Daddy in his junior year. You yeah. know what I mean? It's a different – and even though, yeah, he doesn't have the talent, but the experience – and the presence, like all those things, all those things matter once you're a veteran guy and you're embracing that leadership. I mean, Brooks is a guy that had been through it. He had been benched mm-hmm. at one position, lost his job, then went to another position where they tried to throw him away and then ended up impressing the new coach enough where he's like, I got to start this guy. When they didn't really want to start him. You Wasn't he the guy nothing, he recruited? You know what I mean? And so, yeah. So it was, well, it was he, I remember his presence. D.D. Lewis was another guy like that. So I'm with you. It's it's very, like you said, that often, an offensive line more than any other position group we all agree they have to work in cohesion you know what I mean? continuity is more important yeah. for that group than any other continuity yeah. chemistry whatever word you want to put on yeah, it it's more important on. for that group than any other group on the roster yeah any by other far group. yeah and uh, they don't have an offseason it's basically half your offense. they don't have an offseason to brew it no. yeah which is why i mean at well, least not. at least you've got which is why i think probably the move is get junior angel out of left guard that way you at least go from left tackle to center with guys that have played together yeah. Right, with Cosme, Aguilau, and, and Derek Kerstetter. Um Going over to defense, Rod, and, and Malcolm brought this up. Matt, you said you listened to the interview, so I don't know if you caught this part, but mm-hmm. I didn't – I know he you know, had the comments about playing in the hot Orlando defense and the 4-I and the things he was asked to do. Uh, we didn't get into that kind of nitty-gritty of it, but I just asked him what he felt the scheme change was going to do to the current defensive lineman on campus, and he thinks it's – it's going to unlock him. And the, the three guys that he mentioned, oh, Taquan Graham, Keandre yep. Coburn, Marquez Bimage, because – and I trust Malcolm Roach. I don't – you know, I know he's not probably not going to give you, you know, anything that he doesn't want out there in terms of what he says for a quote, but a guy that conceptually understands football has been around the game his whole life, so I'll trust him when he's talking about yep. personnel Son, and scheme. He doesn't BS football. But he he said can't the, BS that. But he said the reason why he likes those three guys, he's like not only are those guys really good – Guy, good, good rushers and disruptors who can get up the field. It's like they're all three high motor guys. It's like if you put those guys in the right shade and just let them go be disruptive, it's like the production's going to be infinitely better than it was when guys are just having to catch blocks and read things and do things that they were doing in that three man front. So Rod, I mean, they're again kind of like with the offensive line. That intangible stuff with Malcolm Roach. It's up to Keandre Coburn and Joseph Osai to Quan Graham to yeah. to bring up that leadership, but. I think just with the numbers you got, with the scheme change, with the, with the talent that we think is there, I tend to think that D-line is going to be all right. No, I think D-line could end up becoming a strength. Because essentially, I mean, in the equation now with the was the jack position, yeah. the jack, don't you add Joseph Asai essentially to the front in that hybrid role of the mm-hmm. jack? You're basically – Depending yeah. on well, – he's basically added to the front four, but depending on the situation – uh, I even heard uh, Chris Ash talking. He said he's going to be in coverage less. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, on the, on yes. the, he's going to be in coverage less. Like, I yeah, like I like that. I like that. Be, he's going to be. Uh, it means he's going to be run stuffing and pass rushing. So I'm with you, man. With Keandre Coburn, who I love, to Cohen Graham, who last year I thought actually had a really, really solid, uh, solid year, like on the down low. Really, mm-hmm. people didn't give him a lot of props for it. And then you start talking about some of the other guys, you know, Tavondre Sweat and. More Ojimo, you some guys you really forget about in terms of the depth on that. And on Roach team. said all those names. He like yeah. literally went through those exact ones. But he's a coach. Talked about. Yeah, he knows the young, young guys like Myra Warren and Daniel Carson. We haven't even seen yet. Talked about <laughs> yet. Yeah. No, I think that that defensive line is going to be a, a strength, and I'm not worried about that group really. Even though Malcolm Roach, 
I don't think it's easy to replace guys like Malcolm Rose because he's one of those guys. Like I think there are a ton of guys who are probably better, maybe not a ton of guys. I take that back. Maybe a couple of guys who are not like better overall linemen right now than Malcolm Roach. If you just evaluate him as a defensive lineman, mm-hmm. but the fact that he can play multiple positions, the fact that he's been through so much as a player, considering mm-hmm. all the regime changes and the coaching changes, yeah, I mean, I, it's going to be hard to replace his presence. Goes now. back to that intangible stuff. Like right now, in the room we're sitting in, if Taquan Graham and Malcolm Roach walk through that door together, and I said, Rod, pick me out a defensive lineman to start your exactly. game. You're picking Taquan Graham there six days a week and twice on Sunday. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. And it's just, but he's, and he's willing. He's so coachable. Yeah. They told him what he needed to do at the combine. He's like, man, you need to gain some weight. We don't know what you're going to be. He's like, uh, they're looking at you as maybe a, uh, undersized interior D line. He was like, "Okay, I can do that. Yeah. I'll be two ninety two ninety seven and run a four eight four. That's what y'all want me to be. He'll be whatever you want him to be. Just yeah. tell him what you want him to be, and he will kind of mold himself to become that. It's really, really interesting. Well, and I mean, even now we've seen more and more of them be the case. But Texas sort of has a handful of guys. Like I always think of Lamar Houston was the guy that yeah, reminded me of Malcolm and just the way that he was able to be malleable to the situation yeah. and fit the defense where he wanted. But since then, it's made me just realize the NFL valuing and how they have used different guys that we've seen from your San Machos to San your Ocho. Okafors. To the, and there's a handful of them that play anywhere from, a, like, at a different team. One will be outside linebacker, but then yeah. he will play D-line as a backup. That's and it's cool. the same idea with Roach. But there's actually a handful of them that we've seen Texas yeah, acquire. Right. And it's... I think sort of just goes back to the idea that the finding value at Texas and knowing that they're good athletes and knowing that maybe they weren't put in the best situation, but then they still have the tape and it's like, well, you know, we know that this piece can help here or here and it's worth at least inviting into the camp to see which one fits. I mean, that's how it yeah. takes back to the O-line conversation, but how Lyle Sinline ended up playing in a Super Bowl within like a couple years of leaving Texas and yeah. being able to just be there and fill up as a practice squad guy, yeah. but one injury one week, and he was a in decade for being the center yeah. for the Cardinals. I think San Francisco 49ers used two centers this year, multiple centers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You know, staying on the defense, Rob, when you look at replacing guys, replacing Brandon Jones, like, and it's, it bears repeating, like, all five of the guys that have a chance to get drafted, they're all, they were all captains, all yeah. leadership council guys. Yeah. So the intangible stuff, they're going to check a lot of that boxes in the interview process. They no should question. have checked a lot of boxes in that interview process. But where you are with D-line, that's kind of where I'm at with the secondary. Like, I, you know, you're going to miss Brandon Jones, but you get – which, by the way, have you seen what Chris Ash is going to call the, the nickel position? No, what is They're going to call it the spur. Okay, the spur. I like that. So, so Chris Adamora and Anthony Cook are going to get a shot to work at the at the spur position whenever football sounds like the eighteen forties. Chris Adamora and Anthony Cook. Yeah, they'll get a shot there. I love Adamora and the nickel, by the way. But that goes back to the point. Like Brandon Jones, Brandon Jones is another one that goes, "Hey, you want me to go play nickel? I'll go play nickel. You want me to play over the top? I'll play over the top. Be be a box safety. I'll be a box safety." And he already told every team what he'll do. And I, I think the good thing with Brandon Jones, go back to his freshman year. Rod, guy was probably the best special teams player in the program. Mm-hmm. In fact, he blocks two punts his first two of his first three games. So yeah. when he yeah. came in, it was like he was like the point. star playing. Like it was before, and then Stearns or somebody like him sort of overshadowed him. But he was that one year before. Not, about, yeah. not that he's going to be a factor in the return game at the next level, but at least he's done it. There's it, 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 how many ways can you make a football team? That's what it's about. Yeah, it's like what uh, Bill Parcells used to say to players before they went on the field. How many? How many plays I'm gonna get from you today? How many plays? 
All right, yeah. I need to know special teams, defense, how many plays. And Brandon Jones, one of those guys, you look up at the end of the day, he might end up giving you 10 plays on defense, end up playing special teams, maybe 15 plays. You might mm-hmm. get 25, 30 plays out of Brandon yeah. Jones. And just a guy who's just building depth on your depth chart. And he was a fun guy. I remember as a freshman, like you talked about him on special teams and how dominant he was. And Texas has had certain guys like that. Like I remember Michael Griffin was sort of a immediate special teams freak when he came in. Even Sergio Kendall, I watched, rewatched a couple games. It was like the 07 season was on randomly. And I mean, you have Sergio Kendall running down on kickoffs like mm-hmm. a madman. But like, where it's like, yeah, you're a top end player, but. You haven't had the opportunity, but that's where you can literally put a few plays on film that'll stand out for a lifetime. Uh, that was 17. Mac Brown hated that team. Talk about how he hated that team. Yeah. <laughs> I love oh, Mitchell. my God. If y'all watch back it's in relative. that. It's relative. He your kids, goes ballistic so. in that Oklahoma State game. I just watched that Okie State game from that season and the Nebraska one where Jamal went yeah. insane. And one of the best Mac ballistic moments in 07 is in that Okie State game. I love mentioning that, Rod, because – and the next thing I always say after that, if he only knew what was to come in 2010 and thereafter. Team won that, 10 games. That 07 team was not looking too bad. <laughs> okay, they won 10 games. It's amazing what used to be defined as an underachieving team back in the day. Oh, well, yeah. It was absurd. And yeah. when you talk about, like, the, like we were talking the O-line earlier and having to replace a guy like Shackelford and how one piece can sort of change the chemistry. And, like, we sort of learned that real quick from that wave of Texas to the next one where in one year – just one bad old line can be the whole thing that affects your entire team offensively and defensively because it's going to allow the other team to get turnovers or to get good field position and all these things that you don't really weigh the same way. And when you think you talked about the units and why the line is so important, it's the only thing basically the football goes with the O-line. It doesn't matter if it's a pass or a run play. So in theory, you have six players invested. If you have a bad O-line, that's more than half of your offense because the O-line in the football is not going to be doing anything if you can't get that push up front to where that just is sort of a way to quantify what you were saying about it being a unit so much more valuable than anything else. Which if you're if you're picking if you're in a debate with somebody about who's the best quarterback in school history, if you want to make an argument for Colt McCoy, Watch that's him. your argument. That's your argument because Vince Young, as great as he was, played behind maybe the best O line in school history. Yep. yep. When you think about it. And Colt McCoy's offensive line Average, dude. Rewatching below that average. 07, below average. Rewatching that 07 Nebraska game, he gets obliterated. He's concussed, and he had already been knocked out of the K State game with a mild concussion in 07. Came back in the game after a mild concussion. Then against Nebraska is, ju- I mean, Sue's ragdolling him as a sophomore in that game, and I didn't realize how bad that O line was in 07 until I watched some of those games and Jamal just no, bails him out. The go course. go back to that game, Matt, which you yeah. you said you watched, right? Mm-hmm. Both of them. They had to put they had to go to the Q package and put John Childs at a quarterback. He's like, we need Cole somebody. We need somebody with some mobility, somebody that can do something because well, can't block anybody. He, he yeah. was getting hit so hard in that game; it was nuts. But that's that's your argument for Cole McCoy. That's how that's how. But, but Rod, going back to Brandon Jones, right masked now. it for 07, 08, 09. He yeah, the battle line. Going back, going back to Brandon Jones. Yeah, Jamal Jamal Charles is sixteen hundred yard back behind that line. Like that should have been a clue. Take this guy earlier in the third round. Like this, yeah. this it's all right. draft value. You got Jamal Charles like the ninety first pick in the the damn draft. Two hundred sixteen yards in the fourth quarter. But Rod, you talk about replacing Brandon Jones. We talk about depth at positions. And think about this with the safety room, right? You lose Brandon Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Demarvion Overshone's already moved the linebacker. We're pretty sure Tyler Owens is at least going to get a look there at some point, mm-hmm. depending on what happens when everything gets back to normal. Uh, Chris Adamore going to the nickel. 
So wow, that's that's three or four bodies, right? Yep. Still got Caden Stearns. Yeah. You still got Chris Brown. You're gonna get BJ Foster back from shoulder surgery. So Montrell has still got some experience last year. And the two young kids, Xavier Alford and Jaron Thompson, I think they actually fit the safety mold that Chris Ash wants in his defense going forward. That's one position I think in recruiting you're gonna see mm-hmm. take a shift where Todd Orlando liked the bigger safeties, mm-hmm. guys that were six two could get up to like two fifteen, two twenty. I think Chris Ash would rather have a guy who's five eleven, six foot that can play at like one ninety five, two hundred, two oh five. Yeah. Uh, maybe Brown types. May, I think when you look back at Ohio State, I think probably like what Von Bell was at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I think I think if Chris Ash every cycle could recruit him like two or three Von Bells, wouldn't that be nice? Two or three Von Bells <laughs> yeah, at safety. I, I think I think that's what he would do. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure in the Big Twelve that ma- that matches up actually too. All right, so if we're talking about the guys that are toughest to replace, right? We've already talked about uh, replacing Zach Shackelford, Devin Duvernay. Malcolm, Malcolm Roach, Brennan Jones. I think the, those transitions, just from a pure football standpoint, it's not going to be that difficult. The difficult one, and depending on what the offense looks like, we're, we're expecting a more expanded route tree. Mm-hmm. And the difficult one is Colin Johnson because you just don't to get a guy six six that has those kind of high point ball skills. He's a unicorn in that sense. Like you just don't find those guys every year. They don't come into your program. So that X receiver position. It's not a situation where, okay, like, I don't want to go down this road again, Rod, because I don't need us going at each other's throats. we got to keep social distance anyway. <laughs> like, it's not like you're going to take Malcolm Epps and put him at X receiver. Like, well, he's six seven, and guy point the ball. is just have him replace Colin Johnson. No, you're going to make that position a little bit different if you move Brennan Eagles over there yeah. or if you work Marcus Washington there. You're just going to make – and probably you're not replacing Colin Johnson with a player per se – you're replacing him with a body that can work well with an expanded route tree. Yeah, I assume that the point of the position, it ends up being a big tall guy because they want someone that can win one-on-ones on the outside and that, find, that that person can find a way to can have gravity, right? You want to be able to uh, have gravity where you can attract other defenders towards mm, you. Right. That's what Colin Johnson had a lot of. He had Great gravity, even when he wasn't necessarily getting the, the getting uh, the target, or he wasn't necessarily the focal point of the play. Still, he would attract defenders in his vicinity because everybody knows at six six, if the ball is at a, if the ball is placed in the right spot, and that defensive back and 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 Colin Johnson are even. It's Colin Johnson's advantage. That that's a, that fifty fifty just turned into a seventy thirty. Yeah. Just right there. You know what I mean? That's how dangerous he is. So Brennan Eagles would have to do it another way. Duvernay could do it with his speed and different things. Duvernay's just a freak. But you gotta have a different way of doing it. So you know, I think Brennan Eagles is a speed guy. I've not seen him being able to kind of debo people for the football. Yeah. I don't know if that's his strength. But maybe it is. We just haven't seen him do that with a with a more complex route trip. But I like Brennan Eagles flash like the way Flash on the and taking the arc, I should say, that you want a young playmaking receiver to take. Like the consistency's not there, but there's enough of the oh wow, he just did that. Like he just went over the top of Christian Fulton for a ball and took it to the house. Like or the the couple catches he made in the Iowa State game. It's like, wow, okay, he can do that. And you're not gonna get that every play, but at least Rod, he's 
he's on that kind of arc where you're like, okay, he can stretch the field. For I him. see it now. Can he just go put it together? Yeah. Well, and that's where like the second half of the year, it seemed you talked about those examples. That was the time whenever there were a few times where he actually stood out against the opponent, and you saw him flashing downfield, which was something that. You never saw prior to that, even like it needed to be schemed open for him to be open. He was the guy on the backside of the play getting the one on one and being able to. Yeah. So, like, those are advantageous situations that he Very hadn't true. been winning for the first year, year and a half. But yeah. then by the end of the year, or maybe against inferior opponents, he's able to do that. And if you're at Texas, that's the baseline you need to have. If you're going to be on the field, you need to beat people. If you're in that one-on-one, if you feel like you have anything to par or you're better than they are. Iowa State's the game, Matt. I think that mm-hmm. you know when you talk about that stretch he had late, you know, LSU and Oklahoma State were early. But that Iowa State game, Rob, he, he makes that touchdown catch right before the half, mm-hmm. and it's like – it's like, oh wow, that was a great effort, but is out of bounds. And you watch the replay. Oh no, oh no, he's he scored. Yeah. yeah, he's in. That's a Colin Johnson type thing because that was like the ballerina footwork that you see from a six six gangly guy, like a guy like Colin Johnson. Those are those skills that what made him step out when we were a freshman. You're like, oh, we haven't had a guy like that. And then because of just circumstances, situations, changes, it wasn't fully maximized. So then now when you're left with somebody that's lesser of those, say length or the pedigree or like just jump off the page or jump off the screen insane footwork along the sideline it's like you haven't even got those opportunities yet for a guy like eagles because you've had people ahead of him that are actually quality so that's a good time where he has that opportunity now to see if he is one of those guys or if he just goes around with the pack yeah yeah you know marcus washington's a guy that i keep hearing so much about behind the scenes like anybody yeah Anybody you talk to, they gush about Marcus oh, that's Washington. Good. That's good. They need somebody. Yeah, they're going to need somebody to step up. We just don't know who it is at wide receiver. At that and, outside receiver. Yeah. <laughs> like, when you talk about Marcus Washington, like, if, if we talked about this on this podcast, we might have talked about it last week. I don't remember, but, like, the Texas – yeah, we did. We talked about the Texas Tech game. Yeah. When we talked about it, Matt? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, Marcus uh, Washington. I said audibly in the press box, like, wow, John Burt's been getting those reps all year, huh? <laughs> no disrespect to John Burt. But. but that's where you want to have your Yursich's offense this year because we've actually seen Herman gets production out of the passing game, but it's funneled through the same position. And we have not seen outside receivers be successful at Texas in the Tom Herman era. Well, Even a lesser version of Duvernay was that guy. Well, so now maybe if you have the new. It's because the routes are so predictable mm-hmm, exactly. on the outside. The only variation they do have in the route tree comes from the H position. Now it's yep. come slot, so there's a lot more space that's created naturally from the alignment. Mm-hmm. But, man, you got I mean, well, we talked about it over and over again. You can expect there are three or four routes they're running on yep. the outside consistently, and they don't run anything else really other than that. So I think with Yursich, he'll come up with more creative route concepts to force the DBs to have to defend more routes. Therefore, ironically, you're going to open up the same base routes, the, the curl, the hitch, and the slant. All of that will come open because now I do have to defend the six route. I got to defend the post corner. Oh, I do have to defend the post route. They run a, a very a different things yeah. on the outside. I can tell you right now, it's like four routes you got to defend on the outside. Well, and that's it's like four. As a DB, I'm like, I can check him off the list for you. Boom, boom, boom. And you said it perfectly. They're talking about the creativity needed within the offense to get those routes open because whenever you talk to, say, probably Herman, I would guess he say, well, those guys are in roles trying to spread the defense and stretch the gravity. But it's like, yes, but if you're that predictable within it, there are only a few 
possibilities within those three or four variations. So that's where a new mind being creative, being yeah. able to use the same type of pieces, but in other ways to still stretch the defense, not only physically, but mentally on where they should be. And then that, that can actually be the gravity you speak of because of the confusion that your offense can cause. The, here's what I liked about the pro spread offense. And it was what I still like about it, Rod, in terms of the receiver position. For so long, and I use this example that a guy, and I'll retell the story. So if you're if you've heard me tell it before, just fast forward about fifteen seconds. Or about. listen again. Or listen again. Thank you, Matt. Yes. Uh, talk to a guy. Know. Talk to a guy on Mac Brown staff that told me the problem they had in wide receiver recruiting, kind of post national championship, is they got so obsessed trying to find the next line of Swede that all they ended up with was a bunch of tall guys who could run that weren't really good. Yeah, mm-hmm. lacking original thought. Yeah. If you're trying to find somebody to replace the next guy, it's why the NBA looked for the next MJ, and there's never going to be one right. for a decade. Like, it's impossible to do that. And, you know, we saw Texas. It wasn't the problem that they couldn't recruit talent. Look at the recruiting rankings. Like, there's a reason, like, Texas has top 10 class or top 10 class in their background, yeah. even when things weren't going well. Now, the 2012 class that was got a really high bust rate that we were talking about, I think it's like 38% bust rate. Like, they were the number two class in the country. Maybe yeah. that was the 10 class. I don't remember. But anyway. The problem was you're mm-hmm. acquiring this talent, but you have no clue on how to build a team because your offense changes year to year. Yeah. And when you're changing coordinators and you're changing philosophy, the parts might not fit the system. No. Nope. What the pro spread has done is it's given Tom Herman an offense to say, no, this is what I want in my X receiver. And I want my Z receiver to profile kind of like this. And I want the H to look kind of like this. So now you're recruiting to an offense where you say, okay, these guys, the parts are going to fit the role. Like, you're not putting square pegs in a round hole. You And then we talked about how adaptable they've been with that H position. But the point is, like, okay, if I know what I'm – if I know how this position needs to function in this offense, I know what I need to go get in recruiting. Yeah. It makes the recruiting process much more streamlined. Agreed. You're not just acquiring talent. At that point, you're building a team. Mm-hmm. With that said, to your point about Mike Yersich, Rod, now it's time to take that blueprint, that framework, and say, okay, this is what it's been. This is a good plan. You've done well with this. But now everybody knows. Now you got to evolve it. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. The tape's there already. So, like, if you have those compartmentalized roles and positions, and you've been public about that, right. you're basically yeah. just giving the blueprint to the opponent that then can quickly be able to uh, do what they want to defend you. That's where the new mind, new ideas with the same pieces can be something where get inventive, get creative. Don't just try to duplicate something. I think Tom Herman. He, I think he's strange. He needs not strange. Just unique. He needs a muse. He needs something to inspire him. He needs a player usually to inspire him. That's what the age position I think works well with him because it changes from year to year, and he can kind of adapt the the role to the player that's you know that he's using in that position. Right, low Jordan Humphrey. The age looked a little bit different than it did Strength, with yeah. Duvernay. Duvernay was sixty percent of his targets within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Low Jordan Humphrey went downfield a little bit more. Right. And now I think it's going to look a little bit different, but now it'll be Yursich, the one interpreting it. And I think Tom Herman, part of the weakness there is if you, if you need a muse, you need a player to inspire you to uh, change the offense. I think Greg Davis had some of that in him. Greg Davis was brilliant at that. Like he would look at a quarterback and go, okay, uh, I'm going to build this offense around you. He would be inspired by that. And I think you want some of that, but you don't want to be uh, – 
disabled by it, essentially. And I think for Tom Herman, he was almost disabled by it. He needed him. That's why he was so excited about Jordan Whittington. Think about how much he pumped up Jordan Whittington. It's like, dude, we never seen, I haven't seen him on a football field in college. I mean, yeah. yes, great for, in high school, he was Brilliant. unbelievable. But they, they talked about, like, he already was first team all Big 12. You're like, man, that's a lot of hype. And it was more hype than Jake Smith or anybody it else. It was like that spring game. With yeah, him. the reason he was so hyped is because he was so excited about being creative. It was inspiring creativity because he was watching him going, we can do this. Oh, we can run 21 personnel, turn it into 10 personnel. You know what I mean? And he's talking about, he even talked about that when you guys had him on your mm-hmm. virtual chat. So I think he's one of those types of offensive minds. I think Yurisich is different. I think Yurisich is really good at taking someone else's concept taking someone else's song essentially and making a very good cover version of it. he did it with gundy uh and i think even with that's why he works really well with others he doesn't have any pride about running his own offense i think it's going to help now on the outside for tom herman though i think your style will work better because he's he doesn't need a player to build it around he'll just build in productivity and build in concepts for different players i think it'll help him out yeah and i think I think there was too much – be careful how I say this. I think there was too much Greg Davis influence in the offense last year just in terms of – what's that mindset Greg Davis had, Rod, where we, you talked about the quarterback, but especially early on in his tenure. Kind of reminded the, – the offense the last two years really reminded me of Greg Davis, like pretty much that era between Ricky Williams and Vince Young yeah. when you were on campus, right? Like, okay – I've got all this talent. I'm just going to go out and talent you, right? It doesn't matter what I do. I'm just going to do it better than anybody you've seen do it. And I've got NFL talent at pretty much every position group. So we're just going to go beat your brains in that way. But the evolution needed to come because when you ran up against an Oklahoma or a Colorado who's on a hot streak Mm -hmm. or an Oregon who was really good, now it becomes a case of, okay, the talent equals out. What's our advantage? And, and for so long, Greg Davis had no advantage. They had, they had, they had no counterpunch. And how many times the TCU game is a perfect example. Rod, like, okay, they're sitting on a route concept. Gary Patterson's not a dummy. Yeah. Like, he watches film. He knows what you're doing. Mm-hmm. What's your counterpunch? We saw they ran one slot fade. Never really went back to it. Like, they didn't – there wasn't enough of a counterpunch. I think Yursich, based on, based on what you're saying, looking at his background – the counterpunch is kind of what he's always thinking about, mm-hmm. trying to stay one step that's ahead. Exactly right. And it's not that there's a right way or a wrong way to do it, but that's why I keep going back to this. For what Tom Herman needed in an offensive coordinator, I don't think he could have hired a better guy than Mike Yersich. I agree with that. And then you even look at the offense and brought up those games last year when Texas ended up struggling. Now it came down at times to where you tried to just outpower or out physical and be that type of team. And if that, actually goes wrong it isn't like scheme where like okay well this scheme isn't working we can use this other inventive idea if you're trying to build a principle and then become reliant on okay but see we got to this point program wise but then you haven't assessed your talent as well or you actually can't go out and do what you think then what are you left with you're left with much at all and you end up struggling the way texas struggled in those situations so that's why it's great to have a guy like yourich or somebody else that can be a checks and balances on not only philosophy but also in game to see what's working and what isn't working seems like yourich is a better self-scouter 
There you uh, go. That's wrong, the same idea. That, yeah, you, you know, because our problem with Tom Herman often was, listen, everybody can come up with a bad game plan. I can come up with, you know, a bad show, and I, I thought it was going to be a great show the way I planned it out. Turns out that's not a hot topic. People don't like it. It's not interesting. And I got to pivot. And Step, I got to freestyle. And I got to go to something else. And you got to assume uh, at times, like, okay, plan A is not going to work. Let's assume, and I don't know if they sit down in the meetings enough and go, all right, guys, we came up with a great game plan. That's an awesome game plan. What if it doesn't effing work? And that doesn't mean you're lacking confidence. No, no, no. It's, it's just smart what if it doesn't effing work? What are we going to do? What's the adjustment? And why wouldn't it work? What would they do with their personnel that would cause our game plan to be obsolete? Yep. And then how do we pivot? Where do we pivot? That should be a separate file that we go to the WTF file. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, what the file. All right. You know what? Go get it. We've done that. I remember yep. game plans where Lily called Boris would go, all right, game plan. It's up. Okay. Scrub it up, throw it out. And we go, we're going man to man across the board. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. well, you just got to simplify. But you know I mean? It just, it depends on, you don't know. They got really good coaches over there too, being paid good money. So you never know. They're going to come up with a great game plan. And maybe they find that weakness that you didn't even know you had. And you go, oh damn, we're weak there. And they figured it out. And you got to you, you should be self-scouting and knowing what those weaknesses are before they explode. And all, well, all that, that your such can complement the situation. And then just the additional set of eyes than you had, say, last year, that even though Beck was with Herman, it was sort of them two within the same frame of one offense to where just having two set of eyes or another set of offensive yep. eyes can just add value to see things that you just can't blame a head coach from not being able to see if you're having to take on too many responsibilities. Counterintelligence. Yep. That- that, that to me was the frustrating thing of last year. I thought that's what Larry Fedora was supposed to do was help self scout. That's what the analyst roles are I for. Said a lot of those analysts. I don't know what Te- Texas was not a good. And I don't want to dump on 2019 too much, but because we've been down that well and mm-hmm. beaten that horse to death. But it goes back to like what we talked about. Like, did you waste the offseason? And I, I think Rod, to their credit, I don't think Texas is wasting this offseason. Even. You know, right now, where the, at least the playing field is a level like nobody can meet on their campus or whatever. Sure. But, you know, in the virtual meetings, like, that's all Mike Yershitz can do right now is self-scout. Yeah. He has literally nothing else to do. Yeah. No, I agree. It can only be good. Hopefully we're right, and that's where we were really deficient last year because it could really, coronavirus is the perfect thing to go and counter that. Yeah, no, his uh, <laughs> the word on the street is, is that he is a film junkie. I know a lot of people throw that around. Like, oh, man, he's a film rat. And like, no, nah, this guy loves to get into a deep, dark hole yeah. for a few hours and just go not just go like rabbit Brandon Jones, it you sounds know what I mean? like. Yeah, just go rabbit holing. So hopefully that is the case. Because I think Tom Herman needs a few of those guys, you know what I mean? Those yeah. rabbit hole guys. And those are the guys that will find that little thread, that little tiny thread that some team could pull on and uh, the whole damn three the whole damn thing unravels. Um he he'll the guy, he's the guy that'll find well, that was with- you know what, man, if they you know if they do this consistently, if they you know if they're running twists, we're gonna we're screwed. Somebody should have found that. You know what I mean? It, it happened early in that West Virginia game. Everybody was like, damn, West Virginia running them twists against Texas. They're running them pretty damn good. And then Oklahoma. And we seen it in the LSU a little bit in LSU. It was like a few times LSU did it. And we were like, damn, Texas didn't pick that up. Oh, well. Then happened in West Virginia. We were like, um, Continuing. Right, well, okay, so it might be a trend here. And then Oklahoma was like, no, they cannot block <laughs> the twist, <laughs> the stunts. They cannot. Let's do it over and over and over again until they stop it. And somebody at Texas should have known that. Yeah. And they should have had that ready to go, and they did not have that. Just, they were surprised by it. And it's like, well, it's, it's been on film. 
We yeah. talked about it on the Long Run Blitz podcast a couple of times. It's on film. Yeah. So I don't don't act like you ain't seen it because I seen it. Well, and then when you ever have that just go and hit it, it's almost like the uh, offensive coordinator's mentality that, no, wait, they aren't stopping it. Just go and do it every single well, day. Like, like, we're not executing. It's like, well, okay. But well, don't assume you're going to start executing. Assume the worst that you, it'll, you'll never fix it. And then now schematically – Put in, you know, I mean, put in ways to fix it. And that's exactly where we sort of wanted to see, like, say, that's what you thought Herman was going to be, being this Mensa guy that came in was what aspiring Texas fans wanted to be. And then, like, you see something like a Lincoln Riley head coach, probably a type of guy that is able to be that offensive angle to give perspective to your defense that only can complement it. And it's sort of funny that we, when we had Herman hired the Mensa type thing, we were like, oh man, this is going to guy, guy that's an aspiring, like, football philosopher like he's going to be a guy that's deep in the film room everything about it and it's almost like he was an aspiring meathead and football player and loves the physicality of the locker room and the power and there's nothing wrong with that but like they're the marrying of the two and it was something that I think Texas fans overvalued one side because you saw like almost had this at least in my vision was a mad scientist offensive coordinator Mm -hmm. the guy that's going to bring all these things that we're talking about and could be a great self Scouting and, and be the ones I and still is. I think and, he is. And, and yeah. then yeah. that's where the thing I mean, is. is. And but when you got to add head two. coach into the, that's, into the mix, which is a huge factor, exactly. it changes everything. Exactly. Yes, he was all those which things. Which is why but you're such a coach. So, exactly. And then, yes, he was a head coach, but he wasn't. And then he had major, by the way, at his age, but he that's wasn't a head coach at Texas. Yeah. And then so all these, like we said, it, the, the, the cocktail is so fragile. Yeah. You remove one element, you remove major. And that's goes, why well, that major, Major's not that great of an offensive mind, but with Tom Herman, he and Tom Herman. Soulmates, they yep. they work perfectly, and the same thing for Tom Herman as an offensive mind at Ohio State. It was great the way he won the national title, or at least uh, but able to, was able to manufacture that offense with on a third string quarterback, and that's because he changed the offense. He was because he's yep. they were muses for him, right? He was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, oh, I got Cordell Jones. Who <laughs> watched this power quarterback? No, I ain't seen anything like this. You know what I mean? Exactly, and he can, and, and all those things work. But man, when you change it and you become the head coach at Texas, and you also have to call the plays, and we would assume like, oh, he's just going to do what he did at Ohio State and will get him as the young brass, and build nice a program. No, because one thing affects the other. Yeah. Yep. 100%. You know I mean? The major factor, I think, was, and like you said, it's not that Major's like a great, no. brilliant play caller, but it's the trust factor, right? And I think in that first year, it was pretty obvious the trust factor between mm-hmm. Tom Herman and Tim Beckles. Otherwise, Tom Herman wouldn't have taken over play calling duties for the bowl. Come on now. And when you look from that point of it, look, I, I'm like this. There's certain co- head coaches that call their own players. Right? Lincoln Riley does it. Mm-hmm. Jimbo Fisher does it. Yeah. If you're do, if you're going to do it, great. But man, if you don't feel comfortable doing it, don't yeah. don't go down that road. That's what we said when there was. Oh, Tom Herman's calling the plays, great. Yeah, but if that goes wrong, then I think you suffer from what I think Tom Herman suffered from last year, yeah. which I think it's a lot of paralysis by analysis. I think you're just staring at the problem so long. Maybe at times you're just overthinking it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think it's good for him. I, I think you'll see Tom Herman have more clarity on offense now that he's kind of pulled back a little bit. He's not so deep in the weeds. And doesn't that, have so much on his plate. Yeah, and, yeah. and that, I've said this. Like, totally agree. He's, he's clearly got trust in Mike Yersich. I think special teams is going to be better. Yeah, because that's part of Tom Herman's background. That's when, in his wheelhouse. And you brought up in the major aspect and them two working so well together. And you were talking about cover bands earlier, and it just sort of another analogy could be like a guitarist. There's like a ton, millions of great drummers or bassists. There's millions yeah. of great guitarists. 
but they can try to get together and it doesn't work. Doesn't work. But you can have that one guy that you've been with forever that you came up with and it aligns and you're good yes. and you don't have to worry yes, about it, it. Yeah. And, you, and just come and, and the sound and you can hear it. right back up. Yeah. And it's an environment and it's the same type of thing. It's chemistry and like coaches can have that same thing. We just don't get to hear the output. We see the players. On the oh, field. I think that's a, I think that's a huge part. I, like of that I think that's a huge part of it. And yeah. like I said, now that he's hired Mike Yersich, a guy that he clearly trusts, I think now he can take a step back a little bit and not be not he's going from having to diagnose and resolve the problem rod to where it's like okay i see these guys might be stuck on this a little bit let me go in and help yeah no he's that uh you know he was the overbearing overprotective overzealous parent who didn't trust their child you know what i mean there you and go that's and that's always <laughs> a problem you guys obviously our parents i'm not but we know that's a problem. You know, at one point, and not, your kids are probably not there yet. You have to trust the, you know, I mean, the product, trust the upbringing, trust the foundation you build. And I think Tom Herman started to doubt that. I think he started to doubt that uh, all the way from the Tim Beck stuff, all the way through him calling the plays, and ultimately to him now having to hire someone else to help him with his kids. Like, because it causes you to second guess yourself. raise my damn kids right now because I can't raise these damn kids. I thought I instilled happened. these things. He was, he's, he was he raising this child, this pro-spread child and developing it and he hit a roadblock. Something happened and he needs somebody else to come in and help him raise this child. And I think he had, he had gotten to the point where he didn't trust that child. And he, he yeah. you know, I mean, he, was, he had become an overprotective parent and I think it led to him having, he, he had become paralyzed as you, as you pointed out in his analysis and his, his, prognosis and diagnosis of the offense and because he, he didn't have you know what i mean like he, like he couldn't, couldn't see the forest for the trees hey mm-hmm. great, great writers get writers blocked yeah you know, yeah, it's, you know? It's it's the same idea. thing yeah. it happens same uh, thing not you know every not every director in hollywood that's won an oscar and not every movie they've made has been great come on now almost you know, everybody all say they've but, made a horrible one but this is this is part of the deal too rod i think tom herman deserves credit for this He's still very young in his tenure as a head coach, period. Very, yes. So to be able to recognize the problem, realize, you know what, I need to get out of the offensive meeting room. I need to turn it over to somebody I trust. Yeah. I need to be more involved in special That's teams. I need to reconnect with my players. Mm-hmm. All the things he's talked about. He talked about, I, uh, I wrote the article from his interview with Bucky and Aaron about what he learned from his meeting with Brian Kelly. I yeah. do need to do all these things. The program will be better for it. I want to talk about the spring game. Uh, you know, we mentioned this in our roundtable at Horns 24-7. Spring game would have been Saturday. What were you looking forward to the most? You guys know, oh, anytime we go spring game, spring I want to look game. at line of scrimmage just in terms of personnel to see what's there. Though, and we talked about Derek Kerstetter and Malcolm Roach earlier. Who's going to replace the or Zach Shackelford and Malcolm Roach, who's replacing those guys. Kerstetter at center. You know, the interesting thing with the offensive line, Rod, it's weird how all this works out. Like if things, if it was business as usual and Denzel Okafor went into the portal when he did, he probably doesn't come out. He probably keeps his name in the portal and goes elsewhere. If not for the COVID crisis? So COVID might have helped you retain Denzel Okafor. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you can't go visit. No, no, you're definitely schools. right. I mean, it's just no, it's nowhere to go. Right. The yeah. portal leads to nowhere. Yeah, why, you would have, why would you get into the portal when it leads to nowhere? Unless, unless it's just like an unhealthy situation. Or, yeah. Listen, you know, I'm not driving with the, I've been with women who've been portals to nowhere. I've <laughs> entered that portal a couple of times. Look, man, we've all been there. Right? <laughs> yeah, and then, and then think if you were going to go not only have that, but go live with one in another city you've never been yeah. to. Like that, yeah. those elements. No, me. but I'm with you. Because 
in the spring, we look forward to finally, because the skill guys are working out all the time. So in the spring game, I wouldn't want to see D-line, O-line. Skill guys, hell, you probably wouldn't have seen Sam for, I don't know, a damn series. And I don't need to see Sam. For mm-hmm. I don't even need to see Sam. Matter of fact, you can just leave Sam out of the mix if you want to. But I understand some people want to see his chemistry with the receivers. If that is possible, I want to see that second. Does he have somebody that, you know, other than Brandon she, Eagles that Smith and, go to, yeah, yeah Smith, exactly. and how they use Jordan Whittington. Well, and those would be the things. It's always yeah. the sort of the, you know, just the fancy yeah. stuff on the outside that can get your attention. But Whittington, Smith, how the running backs would work together, how the rotation would use or just what formation, more things like that to see what could be in. But then you realize it's spring game. This isn't even going to necessarily be telling. But it would have been just cool to see – the skill guys out we, there. We just don't. We don't even know how what technique they play and leverage they play and like on for the corners. Like you know, are they gonna play bump and run the entire time? Are they gonna bail? Like you know, I, I would have been interested to see that. Just that little stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, don't, I know they wouldn't reveal too much as Matt says, but they'd have revealed at least the technique they're gonna play. Yep. I would have. The other thing I would have wanted to see, other than line of scrimmage, I would have wanted to see with for, with fourteen practices, uh, how close. Could Hudson Card have come to making that backup quarterback battle an actual battle? Like, not that we would have oh, been able yeah, to have a definitive good. answer, but like that. Rod, you know we've come out. There's been quarterback battles where we've come out of the spring going, "Oh no, he, that guy's got a chance." Or yeah. nah, that guy, I got to have it. I hope they got a plan B. Yeah, that's the. I mean, the world of street is that Hudson Card is going to make that kind of leap and surpass Casey Thompson. You know, it, it, well, whoever the backup's going to be, I know he's Casey's the backup now and become the backup quarterback. I know there's. Other different options. I don't see how it happens now. Depending on when they get back on the field and when yeah, the games I don't know. are played. Yeah, well, yeah I agree with you. I, it can't happen now. Yeah. yeah. You can't even go there. Some people, I heard people talking about the NFL is going to have a hard time starting rookies because yeah. usually they, they draft the rookie quarterback you in the first really round, good. fly them up there the next night. Like, hey, let's start getting this playbook. Let's do it. Like, what the hell you? I'm not going to see the playbook, but yeah. I'd love to explain it to you. <laughs> We'll Get see. in some virtual. I guess football. you're virtual. Stuff, I don't know. It's just weird, you know. What I mean, usually you want to be out there with the quarterback as he's somebody throwing. has. Like, some this is how we're going to throw this six round. You see, I want you to put it on his back shoulder. You know what I mean? All, that, all those little subtleties, none of that stuff. Whichever like, team all that. has the best virtual reality, like tech nerds. There's one team that's like the oh, more yeah. Cuban tech team somebody's of the NBA. I don't know who is that in the NFL, but somebody's got to invent some simulator the they, way. Oh, they've already done that. Well, in yeah. well. They got then that's how they're doing it. Well, then yeah, they're going to have the whole already. team together. They do. But right now, remotely. But do you have, another. like, at your house? Yeah, now that's going to be the new thing. That's going to be the big boom. Yeah, virtual virtual practice at the house. Oh, right. No, but we're, we're practicing. It is a room, and you can kind of basically play the virtual game. They remind me of seeing that nice. video of Joe Smith, the pitcher, like trying to go throw in his backyard and just when breaks his window. window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, virtual reality, pitch, just throwing stuff with like, the mask. Was that you, honey? He's like, sorry, babe, I was practicing a new pitch. Yeah. It's like, okay. Or, or you could be as lucky as Sam Ellinger is to have your brother in quarantine with you, and he's a walk-on. He was like, Jake, come out here and get this work. Come there you go. Work, son. I think I think it's the throws in. So if it's the throws, oh, man, he's probably tired of throwing with Burrow. Yeah, I guarantee yeah. he's tired of throwing with Big Burrow because quarterbacks want to throw like four times a day. Well, and with Big Burrow. Like, before they brush their teeth and then they get a good throw in. And so, like, is that these random, like, hour-long throwing sessions where they're just like, all right, man, uh, go over here and run like you're running out. And I'm like, bro, I'm not, I don't want to throw with you anymore. I'm tired of being your test dummy. And not only is he a big brother, I live but he's a quarterback, also... so I, I remember these sessions. Like, and I was like, I, I can't even catch. You want to go throw with me? He's like, yeah, man, I just need to target something. Yeah. And then you also have a big brother. So then you go through there. Like, you have a big brother aspect and a, that's a quarterback. Like, that's double down. Oh, yeah, you got, you got to do it. <laughs> do it for the team. 
Uh, before we get out of here, I want to read this story. A uh, good friend of the show, Mark Henry. I haven't had Mark on in a while, but I think once things get back to normal, we'll have Mark be a part of the show again. And Mark does a fantastic show on Sirius XM Radio, Busted Open, where they talk about uh, the world of pro wrestling. But, you know, Rod, The Last Dance premiered on ESPN last week, and everybody's going back to those 90s Bulls teams. Uh, Mark Henry recalled his first and one of his only encounters with Michael Jordan. And oh, yeah. I just want to read this story real quick. It was at the 96 Olympics, and Michael Jordan didn't play in the Olympics, but he was at the hotel, uh, and Mark said at the time he was good Ryan friends with... the Iverson story. He was good friends with Charles Barkley and David Robinson and I think Carl Malone, so he was friends with a couple guys on there. Uh, and this is Mark telling the story. As we were in the lobby, Michael walks up. It's not, hey guys, how are you doing? It's, who are you? I said, <laughs> who the blank are you? And that was the introduction. <laughs> and Mark goes on to say, it didn't matter. It was the principle. You don't walk up to Mark Henry and talk to me like I'm some kind of peon. I was somebody <laughs> in the world. Maybe I didn't make the money you made. <clears throat> People don't know my name. I don't sell a billion dollars in shoes. But I'm Mark Henry. And if I wanted to snuff your lights out, I would do it in a heartbeat. Wow. It's identical to whenever Rod and I were doing the sports buffet, Mark Henry came on and talked about his only interaction with Alan Iverson. It was the same thing that we went to go, Mark Henry went to put his hand out to Alan Iverson and Alan Iverson thought he was a security guard. Like, why are you coming to shake my hand? (laughs) And he told me something along the lines that little man, I could end your world right now. And told him to shake it. I'm Mark Henry, the world's strongest man. So Charles Barkley smoothed it over. But I love this, this part of the story from Mark said, I looked at him like I was going to snap my fingers, and it was going to be like Thanos, and he was disappear, and he would disappear. <laughs> I put him in his place. I bet he did. No, no, you don't mess with Mark Henry. He was bigger then too. He's lost like a hundred pounds since. Yeah, well, I love that. Pounds, I, I love that Mark Henry is like the checks and balances on. Even if you're the most famous badass dude in the world, you don't treat another human better. Mark Henry is going to te- treat you the way you want to be treated. Of the people, of the people in my life that I've met that I've had face to face interactions with. Mark Henry is at the very top of the list of people I would not want to piss off. He's also a very nice man. Sweetheart of a human being. But, man, I don't... I don't ever want to see angry Mark Henry. I remember him showing up to a Super Bowl party at a previous radio station where the previous radio station had no like re- idea that they told him to show up and they had no place for Mark Henry. And like his, oh. He ended up leaving the place to go find a different place to watch the Super Bowl. I was like, hey, y'all might have just angered the world's strongest man. And that's why we're all over here now. So, yeah, there you go. Not the reason, but you guys get the point. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase just the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019 AM, 1260, streaming on the Horn app and hornfm.com. You can get Rod B. on the triple option each and every afternoon from 3 to 7. Chambers plug. You can also get me and Craig White each and every day on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic interviews on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to search Horns 24-7 Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Search Horns 24-7 Podcast. You get us, State of Recruiting, and the flagship just by searching Horns 24-7 Podcast. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. 
You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.